Hello everybody, welcome to episode 123 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and after a couple of weeks to reflect on what unfolded at the old course, what matters on this episode is the 150th Open. Like most media, we at State of the Game spend the bulk of our time analysing and speculating from outside the ropes. And while there's a place for that, it's always better informed when you get a view from those inside the ropes, and that's what we have the good fortune to do today. With rounds of 74-72, Matt Griffin missed the weekend at St Andrews, but they're just numbers and ultimately tell only a tiny part of the story that the Open is about. Matt, along in just a moment, but first let me bring in the usual suspects from the US, blogger, substacker, author, critic, analyst and more, Jeff Shackleford-Shack. You were also on site at St Andrews, looking forward to your analysis from the press gallery, complimenting what Matt experienced as a player. Well, especially because he just uh, got a brutal break with the draw and the uh, first round pace of play. And I mean, just pretty much uh, everything was against him. The wind direction changed. Well, well, we'll get to that with him, but it was, he played beautifully. It was really um, just unfortunate. He had a few of those, those little things, but that's what happens in when you have 156 players over a course of a long day, some people are going to get luckier than others, but he played beautifully the, the holes that I saw. Sounds like you had the added weight of carrying you for some of those holes, Shaq. So we won't discount the role no. you might have played in no. unfolded from format. No. <laughs> Not when it was taken six twenty uh, yeah. play. I don't think uh, media inside the ropes were uh, a problem. Were the problem. Zipping back to this half of the world, where we find former touring pro turned architect and commentator on the game, Mike Clayton. Clayton's lots to digest from St Andrews, no doubt. An eye towards Muirfield this week, also in the Women's Open. Looking forward to getting your thoughts on what we have seen and what we are going to see in the coming yeah. week. Yeah, it'll be fun this week at Muirfield. Nice to see the women playing there, which I assume was part of the deal of voting the women in, was you can take a women's open before you get a men's open back, which is good because it's a great course and it's great the women are playing great golf courses after after Avian, which seems like every hole's on the side of a hill and it's not particularly interesting. Careful, I got in a bit of trouble last week talking about Evian, so you want to be a bit careful oh, about that. And the okay. course, yeah. What happened? What happened? We, hang tight, Matt. We did, a, we did an episode of Good Good the week before. And we were just talking about the course and the fact it was a major, how it was just suddenly anointed a major in 2013. And we gave the course a bit of a razzing, so we don't think it's up to the major standard. And Meg McLaren's dad took a shot on Twitter that uh, yeah, he thought we were, we were trashing it. We, we talked about it again yesterday in yesterday's episode, and he's tweeted and was, uh, he said, what did he say? Something like uh, a, a semi-convincing defense of your position <laughs> that you'd made. Anyway, mm. uh, it is an interesting uh, an interesting note. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Finally, to the man we expect to do most of the heavy lifting today, since he was, as Roosevelt so eloquently put it all those years ago, the man in the arena. Matt Griffin, welcome. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I think over the years I've listened to every episode, so it's nice to be part, part of one. I wonder whether that's good for your golf, ultimately, Matt. We might talk about that one day. <laughs> Probably not. Let me quickly read the first couple of lines from Roosevelt's man in the arena, because I think it's pertinent to today and what we're going to talk about. Wait, it's- for What? Just wait, Shaq. Oh, you! I didn't. I didn't understand I'm what go, you said. I'm going to read what, the Roosevelt? first. Yeah, Theodore Roosevelt. You've not read the Man in the Arena. Yeah, I'm helping the listener here. What? The, you say it slowly. What, what are you reading? I'm from? speaking Australian. I know that. That's, I'm <laughs> trying to get for the American audience. First, first couple of lines of the Man in the Arena go like this: It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, and it goes on, and it's a brilliant piece. Matt Griffin, are you marred by dust and sweat and blood? And do you look at those of us who point out how the strong man stumbles and where the doer of deeds 
could have done them better and wonder what the hell we're talking about. Uh, I think um, as a as a player who's been there and who uh, missed the cut, you're always looking at uh, the reasons that you did. And um, whilst whilst there's always a few different things that happen in the open, I, I felt that I created a few opportunities that I could have could have made and 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 walked through that door. And um, but no, it's it was a, a an extra special week being there at the old course and, uh, and and getting a chance to play in the 150th Open. Extraordinary. You've played lots of tournament golf, Matt. Does it feel that different when you arrive in St Andrews for the 150th Open? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, <clears throat> I'll be going back to Japan in a couple of weeks and there'll be there were more people there on the Sunday the week before than we'll probably have on on Sunday Sunday going. So you knew as soon as you got there it was a a different a, di- a different week. Yeah. And amongst the players, do you feel that crackle or oh, it's probably a mixed bag. Some people I imagine are in their own bubble wanting to do their own thing. Others are excitedly chatting like school kids about to go on camp about what's unfolding for the week. Which which one of those two are you? Oh, I was the ex- excited one. As soon as I qualified at the Victorian Open in uh, in February, I knew I knew it was the week that um, you'd always wanted to play for as a, as a golfer. I mean, it says playing a major is something special, but playing a major at St Andrews is the is the jewel in the crown. So it's something that not a lot not a lot get to do, and uh, to be able to walk over the Swilkin Bridge and do all those um, different things is um, yeah, it's it's just what it's like for a Melbourneian who follows AFL. It's like running out on the grand final on grand final day, really. Yeah, although, well, and most of us have got as much chance of doing that. <laughs> there you are playing at the Open. 74-72, missed the cut by two. Tell us how that unfolded. I think Shaq's already alluded to there was certainly a bit of a draw bias, which is not uncommon at the Open. Tell us how those scores unfolded for you. Yeah, well, as a um, as a qualifier, I guess I always expected that um, there was a good chance I was going to get quite one of the, the late tee times. And part of the Open is that there's tee times between sort of 640 and quarter past four so when the draw came out and I had 340 I, I was sort of obviously you'd prefer an earlier tea time but uh expected that uh, and then getting out there we got sort of I guess the hard part with you always sort of seem to want the wind off the right going out a little bit down and we had the wind coming into into off the left going out and uh and then also had the the way the with the way the course played being so firm and fast and also with the ball going as far as it does, the it was quite e- extremely slow. So we played six hours 20. I finished after 10 o'clock on, uh, on Thursday night. And, and that's such a, it was such a long, it was a long day to get to the first, first round, but then to spend six hours 20 out there was pretty tough, but I was, I was actually really happy with the way I, I dealt with that and finished, finished quite well with a birdie on the last and sort of had some good momentum going into into Friday and sat down Thursday night at eleven o'clock and had my dinner and wow. <laughs> got to uh, got to bed about twelve thirty and then sort of woke up and it was uh, ready for my next uh, ready for oh, my yeah. next tea time so it was a pretty quick turnaround and uh, didn't get off to a great start on Friday again with that sort of left to right wind going out and and then it's created after sort of the first six holes where I went to four over par I created a lot of opportunities and and just really didn't make make the putts that I needed to with a putter coming home and we did uh we did get a bit of a wind switch on the way in which made things a little bit more difficult and uh didn't quite didn't quite get there so uh I walked off the course going look I gave it everything but um also a little bit frustrated in that I just didn't didn't walk through those uh, opportunities that I, that I had 
it's almost a death by a thousand cuts in you know the late tea time, the wind coming in the wrong direction, the really slow golf. You don't get home till eleven o'clock that night. It's little things piling up on each other. And at this level, one shot, two. Well, you miss the cut by two shots. Think about that: two shots over thirty-six holes. Any golfer can look at any thirty-six holes they've played and find two shots without even blinking, can't they? It's the the, the margins are so fine. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a small it's a small margin, and there's no doubt that the guys around. Around the tea time that I had, Tiger was an hour of sort of forty-five minutes to an hour in front of us. Got the got what would be called the raw end of the stick, but that's I mean the great part about watching the Open for I'm thirty-nine now, so I've got a good thirty-four, three, thirty-four years of watching it is, and that's part of it. And um, oh, yeah, it, looking back, it it is you'd, you'd love to be off the other side of the draw, but it wasn't. It wasn't a completely unfair open, which you can get some years, and I had, I had the opportunities that were there, so I just didn't didn't convert convert when I needed to, and it'll give me good good, uh, I guess, uh, impetus to to work hard and make sure I get back for another one, and and hopefully maybe get the right side of the draw, and then I can uh, make those create convert those opportunities that I created. Yeah, not not blaming all of that, but each little bit is just another brick in the wall that you've got to jump over, isn't it? Shaq, I, the only tournament I can think of where on Australian television it comes on at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you watch the very first tee shots of the event at like 10 past 6 in the morning in Scotland. We're watching it in the afternoon here in Australia. It's quite crazy, isn't it? And we talked about it beforehand. An open at the old course is without doubt the pinnacle of the game, isn't it? Yeah, and it really felt like it. I thought that was what was great about Tiger's comments in his press conference was uh, uh, saying that it, it it always feels big there, but it felt even bigger this year. And and for any number of reasons, uh, the people who were there, the the number, and uh, it definitely had that feeling. The weather was great, so um, you know, last time it rained a lot at night, and it was just a little more festive this time, and. And uh, the the field played beautifully. The course played very tough. I mean, I'm curious what man has to say about some of the ways it was uh, set up, but uh, it was it was just tremendous. And uh, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just thinking. So so when Matt was, was really playing nicely on the on the back nine coming in, and looked like he had a really good chance to make the cut. I thought it was going to be plus one. And uh, the, the, the one that just blew me away, I, I, I left him at 15 because I had to go in the merchandise tent to get something. Uh, and the line, there was finally no line. And I, I, I go in, I get my stuff and I come out. It's, it's almost 10 degrees cooler and the wind is now blowing left to right, which for coming in um, 16, 17, 18 isn't, isn't very much uh, of a help when you're trying to make two birdies and uh besides the fact that the pins are put on these weird little knobs so it was it was like you got to be kidding and he, he still hit an unbelievable drive though as i recall on 16 uh matt but uh, i think he had a great drive both days uh on 16 which is not easy to do and then they put the pins in spots that are just really hard to they don't really reward that drive that flirts with the out of bounds uh i felt right no it was um with that with that wind change it it definitely made. I, I've probably said a few words to my caddy that I can't that I can't really say here. But <laughs> can actually, if you want to, go right ahead. We we'll just put a little e on. It. <laughs> and and um, the one thing that did kind of help was it actually made it easy to get it close to the fence. Which um, mm. and in my position on Friday, I sort of had nothing to lose, so I was able to get one. I get. A, I got a great drive on sixteen that sort of 
snuck it past the principal's nose and had a perfect wedge in. But where they had that flag on 16 was right on, it was just over the bunker, but it wasn't just over the bunker. It was right on the top of a little little knoll. So anything that was a fraction right of the flag was going to spin 30 foot, 40 foot away. So I probably needed to land that left of the flag and move it up the hill with where the wind was. But um, So that was a little frustrating. And then 17 actually got it in Clates' favourite spot where where Tom yeah. uh, Watson hit it and uh, had a perfect five iron up the green and just didn't quite get it to the top of the top of the uh, the false front there and um, gave myself a good chance. But then it also meant that eighteen was out of it went from being basically a sort of a three wood or driver on the green to to being a good driver to sort of sixty yards. So that kind of you're almost counting on eighteen being sort of half an automatic birdie went from uh, that to to being a bit difficult. So it was sort of, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a perfect time for the wind change. And then it sort of being with it dying off as the day went on, it sort of made the course play play actually a bit easier for the guys that went were going out, out with it. Of course, you've got to cope with all of that and think about all of that while you're out there, Matt. <laughs> you know that all of that's happening. You, do you know you're around the cut line? You know, you, you know your position in it? Yeah, I sort of – you, you kind of always – even if you're not looking at the scores, you kind of get a feel for where it's going to be. And I kind of – with good weather, I sort of thought it was always going to be around that even par mark. It sort of hovered there for for most of the week. If it had sort of got up the wind, it may have pushed pushed to one over, but um, I was pretty comfortable it was always going to be around that even par. Clates, you've been you've been bloodied in the arena. Do you prefer sitting at home and watching Matt deal with all of that, or would you have liked to have been out there? I heard Nico Colsart's in the commentary, and you could hear in his voice the disappointment of not playing and commentating instead. Yeah, it's always fun to play there, but I mean, everyone has their time, so we all had our time. But it was um, when did when did walking over the Swilkin Bridge become a thing? I don't remember in nineteen eighty four when Twitter, it was just, maybe just kind of walked over the bridge and it was no big deal. Now it's kind of a it's become a big thing to walk over the bridge and get your picture taken and do all that. I'm going to say Twitter. I think Arnold. Arnold. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Clay, what but the you- tiger just kept on going, which I love. Yeah. Which was a way of saying I'm not, I'm not <laughs> exactly. done yet. Yeah. All of you outside the arena. So it worked. Exactly right. it, it had that added benefit because if he had stopped and started waving you're like oh yeah he's, okay, he's done he's done yeah, he's done extraordinary that just a little action like that can say so much isn't it jack in a funny way palmer started <laughs> it by stopping on the bridge and woods is the what? only one I- who can keep walking and make something of that <laughs> extraordinary i was watching matt so i did i didn't see tiger my first question when i came in to somebody um uh, because i i kind of had the radio going and kind of not uh and they their description was weird and I asked a couple of writers, just just to be clear, did he stop or did he keep going? Oh no, he kept going. Took the hat off. I went, okay, that was what I needed to know. Radio kind of radio kind of butchered it, but um, anyway, you yeah, know, you fun know. little side note. You know, the whole thing. You'd already had the great photo standing on Jack Nicholas's foot. So you know, that was- yeah. So can we just briefly? Um, I have a theory on that, <clears throat> and unfortunately, Tiger missed a cut, so I couldn't follow up with his people. Um, but Jack was taking a cart. Uh, pretty much everywhere. And he looked great, by the way, compared to the Masters. He had looked, I think he still was had some post-COVID symptoms and uh, looked very tired. And he was fantastic with us in, uh, in the press center on Monday. Uh, he was he was funny. I mean, we had to use the bathroom and we were standing in line for food. He came out of the kitchen you know, and he was great. Um, uh, but I was told he was having equilibrium issues, that his hips are weak and he's 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 feeling good, but he's not comfortable in certain situations because of his equilibrium and the weakness. And I, I'm going to put good money on the, 
that that he asked Tiger to to right. to, to do that or yeah. or to hold him somehow. Yeah. They couldn't hold hands. That would have looked a little weird. <laughs> uh, and Jack, and Iron Tiger's not going to put his arm around him, I guess. But anyway, they had a little chat when he came up, and it just wouldn't surprise me. I, I'm pretty sure that's why he right. had his foot on him. Tiger's not that rude. He's not going to stand there. No, and, you know, it was an odd <laughs> Smash his foot. Yeah. So a, anyway, okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna find out because I, as you can imagine, oh, the, the all the nutty racist trolls on the internet have to let you know that this is that's just Tiger being Tiger. Like really, yeah, really, <laughs> give me a break. Anyway, how was it with uh, Tiger in the field, Matt? It was all the talk beforehand. Um, did you do you notice anything as a player when you're playing an event like that and Tiger's there? Is he that all consuming? Or is it only those those of us on the outside who think it's that big a deal? Oh, 100%. It, it adds adds that extra extra bit to it. We had the um, – it was great to see the Champions Day on Monday. And, and I mean, you can't help but get drawn into when someone like Tiger's around. He's sort of – I sort of walked past him heading to the range on Thursday and you see him walking with his crew off, off to the first tee and it sort of gives you that little bit extra of a – extra of a – little bit of energy energy going around and and we were lucky enough with our tea time to sort of I was on the seventh hole as Tiger was coming up ten and ten both days and you had that they had that great sort of amphitheater out around the seventh eighth t seventh green eighth t and big stand on eleven and uh the the cheering it was like almost watching a football team out there with the way the crowd was sort of cheering Tiger on and obviously he was having a pretty tough time but uh the just the atmosphere through there was something that you don't. I've never seen at a golf tournament, or you don't ever see with any other any other real player. I'm sure late on Sunday at a major probably feels a bit like that, but uh, yeah, it adds <clears throat> adds a different level. I mean, he's the. Of, I'm too young to sort of really know Nicholas know Nicholas at his best, but as a as a player, he's something something else from from what what I've seen. Yeah. But- you're the full golf nerd, aren't you, Matt? You, you've had the whole experience on that week at the Open and, and full marks to you. I'm going to ask you about the Australians shortly and uh, whether what happens when somebody from Australia is sort of leading there and do you all band together and whatnot. But I'll come back to that in a minute. Clayton, I haven't heard you. We haven't spoken since then. What was your take of what unfolded at St Andrews for the week? Uh, well, Cameron Smith held the Kel Nagel putt, yeah. which was not that well known to people who aren't Australian, but Nagel held the a little shorter, but this is the exact same putt in terms of line that, to beat Palmer in nine sixty. So it was a it was a little synergy there. But you know, it was. I mean, I first saw him play. He won the Australian Amateur in nineteen two thousand and thirteen, and you know, he was a nice player, not not super impressive until you really looked at how he played and analysed it. And he was a, obviously a you know clever player he he knows what he's doing he's a great wedge player great putter and but if you know watching that amateur amateur if someone had said that kid's going to be the second best player in the world and when the open championship at andrews you'd go really but but you you know you watch his career since then and he just keeps getting better it's amazing how how, how well he keeps playing and you know, how incrementally he just keeps improving. Hindsight's twenty twenty close. That was an extraordinary match, wasn't it? I remember you tweeting about it at the time. That match with um, Jeff Drakeford. Well, Drakeford was a he was the big, strong local player who was favoured to win and home course. He was, he was going to be the next gun, and he he drove it on the fourteenth green at Commonwealth, which was staggering in itself. It was about three hundred and forty yards, and he was already four up, and you assume that Smith would 
at least take a drive route and try and get on the try and get up near the green. He took a three iron out and hit it up a hundred yards short of the green, and then and then wedged it in the bunker and went five down, and he won three and two. They shook hands on the fifteenth in the afternoon. Thirty-six hole match, and he just ground him into the ground by hitting fairways and hitting greens and making putts and. It was extraordinary. In fact, it, it was. It was. I, I did write about it that Matt Fitzpatrick and mm-hmm. Smith won the Australian and US amateurs that year. They beat Oliver Goss and the that Fit, uh, Fitzpatrick beat Goss and Smith beat Drakeford. They win the US Open and the British Open in the same year, and neither of n- neither Goss or Drakeford play golf anymore. Yeah, that was kind of an extraordinary um, route that. That those four players took to 2000. There's an element of speed about Cam Smith, isn't there, Clades, in that you watch and don't see anything incredibly spectacular and you look at the numbers at the end. I remember Jeff Ogren might have told us on this very show, he said, you play with speed and you get the score and you sign your card and you've done his numbers and he shot 65 and you wonder how he did it. You're out there the whole time with him and you can't think of anything extraordinary that he's done, but he's just produced these numbers. Cam Smith's a bit the same, isn't he? There's nothing extraordinary to look at, but the total of it all is an extraordinary golf game. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't... I mean, he's not like... Curtis Strange, who you know had a great looking swing, who just stamped out bottle tops of shots one after the other. He doesn't play like that either, so it's it's hard to sort of pigeonhole him as a player. But yeah, Spieth is not a bad analogy. Matt, golfer's golfer, Cam Smith in so many ways just gets the ball in the hole in the least number of shots somehow. Oh, absolutely. He's. I mean, Cam's always had this sort of X factor. I remember I played with Cam. At the, it would have been in Toowoomba at the Queensland PGA and sort of probably 10 years ago when he was 15, 16. And you play with certain players and they, you go, they've just got that little, there's something about them that that's there. And Cam's always been an unassuming type of guy. He's just a, knows how to get the ball in the hole quicker than quicker than most. And, and, and it's sort of been great to follow his career and sort of see how he's he's just gone from, and he, he doesn't have the physical attributes that you go that, oh, this guy, like an Oliver Goss that I had when I remember mm. playing with him around the time of that US Open, and you're like, geez, this kid's this kid's going to be a superstar. But Cam's always had that little kind of mongrel in him that's that's got him to to where he's gotten. Uh, it's And not a surprise to see how, see him basically, what's he world number two now. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, an incredible rise. Yeah, extraordinary player. What was the take? Oh, I'm going to ask Matt about the Australian thing in a minute, but Chuck, what was the take in the press tent? I mean, Smith's not an unknown quantity by any stretch of the imagination, and he wasn't. It wasn't one that wasn't spoken about in the lead up. People expected him to do well, but what was the take? There was a very strong pro Rory thing happening. Oh yeah, with everybody, I think. Yeah, well, I, you know, there were a lot of people who were bullish on Cam. I wasn't just because I, uh, some of his comments in the press conference scared me off a little bit the way he said he was driving it but but i do know his miss was left and i should have registered that if you're that's a that's a great course to be playing if you have a a left miss but of course he really wasn't missing the ball much saturday was kind of a the the one sort of off round and he just shrugged it right off as he explained which was impressive um but no it, it was not um now I was on the course, so I don't know what it was like in the inside the press center, but the uh, <laughs> the mood after uh, it, it was a combination. Well, it just wasn't it wasn't very uh, jubilant because yeah, Rory was set up to be an amazing story, and he didn't really play poorly. He just wasn't quite as crisp with a few iron shots. Other than that, he played all the places you need to play it 
uh, to when you have a lead there. He he did all the right things. Um, and then I I didn't even sense from the Australian press quite the normal um, joy because I think of the the probability that he's uh, uh, defecting to the to the live tour at some point. Uh, or their belief, that's their belief. Um, and I mean, they weren't, uh, crying. I mean, they were very, they were sitting right in front of me and they were great. They were helpful with some questions and, and all that. And they got invited to his little get together cause he, he didn't really have anybody there. Uh, so he was trying to get some, some bodies there. His family didn't, his, you know, he talked about that. His dad decided not to come. It was too far. Whoops. Yeah. Missed out on that one. Um, but, um, he got to see it at least. So yeah, it was a weird mood. And, um, you know, the mood on 18 was brutal again. Yeah, I mean, Rory just played beautifully, but somebody in that 64, I I'm going to spend some more time and go back now that we have an off season to look at it. Um, and I'd be curious. I mean, Matt played the first two days, obviously he didn't play the weekend, but I was trying to explain to some people that that 64 is, is, is really a lower score than, than, than what it looks like on paper because of the way they hide the pins. And, and I, I, I just, I kind of got tired after four days of looking at the pins and, and, and going like, come on guys, you, you, you gotta, you gotta give them a few bones. You can't put every pin on a knob. You can't put every pin in a spot that, that even a, a, a just a, you know, a 340 yard drive, like Matt hits on 16 and, there's really no shot at that pin. Come on. That's the whole point of that, that golf hole is to, to take on that risk. And there were many of those during the round. So I, I kind of want to go back and look at Sunday. Sunday had a couple that looked a little easier, but, the, but I talked to some people who played the next day and they went, no, no, they were, they were on a spot that, yeah, from a distance, it looked, uh, it looked more normal. And then you get up there and like, if you were just a foot off, the ball goes off the green kind of thing. So the round is, it's just mesmerizing, and his con- and the other thing is, I I jumped ahead once he was uh, at fifteen. I was with Rory, and 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 the uh, <clears throat> the stillness, the the focus, the calm uh, was just freakish. I mean, he just couldn't have been uh, more locked in. And um, yeah, he did have a long chat on the sixteenth tee, but it was not about whether to take on the bunkers or not. It was just a matter of what club I think would be too much, you know, because there was so much roll. I think he just did not want to hit it too far and he was pumped up and they had a long chat there, but everything else was just workmanlike. And he just missed that shot a little on 17 and played for the, the 15 foot putt and uh, made it just uh, incredible. And it kind of overshadowed the incredible thing that Cameron Young did too, which is um, what he's done a few times this year, which is just play, uh, really well, and then you think and hit a few bad shots, and you kind of forget about him. And then there he is at the end again, finishing second as a rookie. I mean, it's just, uh, and the drive he hit on 16 Sunday was rather courageous. And then, of course, Eagle Lane 18, and in front of that scene, I mean, it's just such a surreal thing. It's, it's almost so surreal that maybe it's not nerve wracking to the guys because it just looks like a painting around you. It yeah. looks like something, you know, that, that Lucasfilm creates with those screens they do now, or it's, it's just not even real looking. Yeah. And so the grandstand fall, the whole thing. So Rory caught it. Was, it was just a great finish. It mm-hmm. was, I don't mean to crap on Cam Smith because we wanted Rory to be the legend that won at the old course, because it's incredibly satisfying when somebody plays golf like that. 
Rory almost, he almost played the Tiger round on Sunday, didn't he? It's the round Tiger Woods would have played in the same situation, you'd expect. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just playing to the right spot. So then he gave – yeah, again, there were about three or four iron shots where he did position himself well and aggressively. Like I was behind seven, and he just hit it three yards tops left of where he needed to. It landed on the ridge and went went left. And that was a bad shot given that that was really a birdie hole and the way he hit his tee shot. But, the, but we're talking literally maybe three irons, four irons were just mm. – just not as crisp. And the ground, I mean, this is why I'd be curious for Matt, too. The ground mm. was so hard and so slippery. I mean, it just got to – it just it just feels like that – the ball striking is just uh, emphasized that much more. Matt, what, do you, I imagine you watched Sunday. What was your take on both Cam's final round and Rory's? It was more interesting in some ways. Yeah, I felt, the thing I found interesting, I think Rory kind of got a little bit – probably if – I'm interested to see what the result would have been had Rory been playing with Cam. Uh, sort of Rory and Victor seemed to just have no momentum in their group, and and sort of Cam was almost a bit of a surprise attack through the through the through the loop. There he went, just went nuts, and Rory went from sort of being two three in front to kind of being behind straight away. And then once you get on that sort of fourteen through through that stretch, is it's quite they're not the easiest holes to sort of make a birdie to make to make up that ground. So. Um, but Cam's golf was just just incredible. He um, he did everything right on the Sunday, and when he's the type of guy when he gets that putter going, he, he just uh, he just doesn't miss. And uh, was interesting. I sort of being lucky, fortunate enough, I stayed at the old course hotel, and I thought Sunday I'll go and stand out, just stand out that little courtyard and, and watch them come up seventeen. And uh, when Rory hit his shot into to seventeen green, and the crowd just went. Went went bananas. It was again like being at a fo- football game, cheering Rory going up to the green. It was hard not to get sort of swept up in in that, and sort of hope that Rory could get it done. But um, as a, as an Aussie golfer, it was uh, was great that it was actually um, that Cam, Cam was able to to bird that last hole and, and and close it out. I wanted to ask you about this. I sort of alluded to it earlier. So I think there were I think there were about fifteen Australians in the field. It was, it was quite a few this year, wasn't there? If uh, I think it was 13, 13? I believe. Yeah. I think I had that in the newsletter do, somewhere, yeah. Do we overplay that from the outside, Matt, or is there a sort of an Australian feeling? Clates told us that he was staying with um, Ian Baker Finch in 84, him and Grady were sharing a house, and there was a sort of a – I think you said you missed the cut, both of you, Clates, but you knew that the bloke in the next room might have a chance. That, yeah, we, yep, yeah, it was the, very weird, really. The following day. Do you get that, Matt, amongst the Australian players, or are they sort of just golfers that all happen to be from Australia? No, there's there's an extra there's an extra special sort of link there that um, you always find whether it's playing practice rounds together or there's always I mean when you come from the same country you've got those things that are more in common whether it was the state of origin was on that week so it's easy to kind of chat to your fellow fellow countrymen and you always I mean golf whilst it's an individual sport you as an Australian golfer you hope that the other Australians do well and if you can't if you can't win you hope that that's one of them that. Those got those other guys that can win. So um, we all sort of a group of us were a few guys that left that had, that had missed the card or, or that, but a few of us hung around and sort of were just in the players area when uh, Cam was coming up eighteen and and sort of were there to yeah to in, enjoy the celebrations. I mean, it's a pretty special thing to win a claret jug and be able to hold hold it and, and have a drink out of it. So uh, I made sure that whilst I wasn't the one that was doing the celebrating. It was uh, it was great to be um, 
able to be there and sort of soak up a bit of that. Be a, be a part of it. Adam Scott was the first one there as he came out of the scorer's centre clates, which I thought was classy, uh, waiting for Cam Smith when that, that sort of happened. It was a nice touch. I, I wonder, Clates, you would have probably read more about this than I have. There was kind of that giant slayer feeling about Cam Smith v. Rory, you know, the, mm. for the want of a better term, the wrong player won in some sense. I wonder whether Nagel and Palmer had that same effect. Absolutely. I mean, everyone wanted, wanted Arnold to win. Mm. I mean, he, you know, he won the Masters in the Open that year, and I mean, Kel was a real disruptor of the celebration and the party that year. And he was not unknown, but it was the it was 40 years old and it was the mm. fifth major he ever played. Yeah. The extraordinary thing about Nagel's career was he's 40 years old and he won the fifth major he played. And then he was a top 10 pretty much every year through the, six, uh, yeah, through the 60s in the Open. And he was such an underrated player. With Amazing. A, with a set of clubs out of the boot of Peter Thompson's car? Uh, was that the- yeah. They were a set of spalding irons. He was contracted to P- PGF, but had a, but wasn't enjoying the clubs he had. And Thompson convinced him to. He called Claire Hickson, who was the boss of PGF, and said, "You're going to have to let Kel out of his contract for a bit. He's going to not play the clubs during the Open." And he he played a set of spalding irons. I think maybe McGregor's, but I think spalding and and had the dignity to feel bad about it. Spoke for years afterwards how bad he felt that he was contracted to yeah. play a set of clubs and use a different yeah. set of clubs to win yeah. the biggest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kel was the he was the, he was the nicest guy ever. He might so, might be the nicest man I've ever met. He'd be up there. Although Vaughan Summers, he, he called him the Undertaker. He said he was the <laughs> nicest guy ever, but he'd cut your heart out in the golf course. The smile, yeah. the, the smiling yeah. assassin. Yeah, one of one of life's great joys as a golf writer in Australia was to get Kel to recount the last five holes. Of that open, and he could remember every shot fifty yeah. years later. You remember them, well, forty years later, like they were yesterday. Yeah. It was quite remarkable. He took you through it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, shot by there shot. Was, there was a famous uh, Australian golfer, Don Lawrence. He was the the writer who coined the Golden Bear mm-hmm. name for Nicholas when he played in nineteen sixty four in Australia, and he was on the eighteenth tee, and um, he said to Don, "What do I need, Don? Four kelp." That was it. Wow. Different what times. I need on four Kel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of the. I mean, the, you know, the young kids won't know about it, but it's, it's one of the more famous conversations yeah. in Australian golf. Really, one of the shortest and one of the best. Uh, one of the shortest. Yeah. <laughs> one of the best known. Shaq, every open is its own piece of history. Where, where will this one stand? The hundred fiftieth makes it special. I think the show was up to the moment. We had a fabulous show. If you like golf and golf competition and watching things unfold, it had everything in it, didn't it? Where, where will this one ultimately stand? Do you think? Oh yeah, it was it was tremendous in every way. You know, I, I got ha- I, halfway through, I just ran out of time trying to rank all the opens at St Andrews uh, and and actually do them justice. Try to find some of the really great details. I'll keep working on that um, for next for five years from now. But uh, I was gonna I was gonna dump the Louis and the Zach ones pretty pretty yeah. far down the list. Yeah. And this one I definitely would. This is definitely in the top. Uh, 10 or 12 of the 30 they've had just in terms of all the things that happened and the, and the quality of the golf, um, the atmosphere and obviously being there, I'm, I'm biased. I wasn't at, at the, at Tom kids win, uh, in 1873. So I can't say, but you can read a lot from the, the descriptions 
as to what kind of an event it was and how much ink they gave him. And this one was, um, you know, and it was weird. I, I did not expect Tiger to play as badly as he did because of the way he's hitting the ball. But I, his short game is just awful right now for some reason. The ball striking is perfectly fine. And, and I thought he was walking really well, too, um, which is make, makes it even probably more infuriating for him. But in a weird way, it was kind of nice that he bowed out on Friday yeah. if he wasn't going to play well. That, you know, he bowed out on Friday with that beautiful scene and the sun out and then let the, the, the guys on the weekend have the spotlight. So I thought that was just one of those great little things. And the, and the, the, the event on Monday was fantastic. I wish they'd had it on Wednesday because there would have been more people there. But the, the, the adaptive golfers and having the women there and, I mean, Georgia Hall's throwing her in with Tiger yeah. and Rory and Lee Trevino, that is not an easy thing to be thrown into. Lee Trevino is a, is it's very, <laughs> very awkward. I mean, and they were laughing a lot, but it's, it's bizarre because he's just this savant and he's walking around and he's kind of deciding what he's going to hit. And then he walks into it and hits it. And then he just can't putt at all. He literally freezes over the ball, uh, but he can do anything he wants with a golf ball. Still, it's unbelievable to see. And then, and then, being the cruel game that he is, it is, he, he, he can't, he can't putt, but it doesn't matter. It's just, but the whole scene and then Jack comes out to watch you tee off and you're getting photos with them. So all, all that, the RNA had a really good week on that front. And I, I thought they did a great job with the setup from afar. I just, I just got tired of the, of the whole locations being um, like they were just looking for a Sunday crazy pin every day. So, I mean, that's what I'd love to hear from Matt is yeah. just kind of how, how the course you know, the firmness was so incredible, but how that played, how it played strategically, you know, anything that stood out to you in terms of on, on that front, we can get to the slow play part later. Cause I have a story about that after the, at the end of his round, but I, I just kind of love to hear what Matt's uh, assessment was of, of how it played. Yeah. I mean, the, the course was incredible. I know when I qualified, I, I, I said, I said to everyone, I, ho- I hope for a firm, fast, fast open, but I, I definitely didn't uh, expect what we actually got. That was a, that was a, I guess in the racing terms, that was a firm one. I think it was, oh. uh, it was like playing down the, like playing down the ro- road. So, uh, and that, having been over there the week earlier, in the, I sort of was lucky enough to play North Berwick and Gullen and Muirfield the week week prior, and it takes, it does take a while just to get used to playing off that turf because essentially if you hit a little bit behind the ball where we normally kind of do you, you you're not going to get the contact you want so that took a, a fair while to get to get used to but then it I guess playing the course the way it did it just brought everything into play when I've when I've been there in the past for the links for the Dunhill links uh it's always the ball doesn't move as much on the ground whereas here it was going I think on 16 on Tuesday I hit a a three on that went slightly left, landed on a hill, and it it, it bounced forty yards left. On mm. on eighteen on the Wednesday, I was trying to take one down the right to take a really aggressive line at that. I landed on that big mound that's sort of thirty yards in front of the green, spat it straight out of bounds. So Ooh. it um, <laughs> it really it it really did <clears throat> play just so much random random randomness to it and once you hit the ball in the air you sort of if it wasn't on your quite exact line you wanted you uh, you had your head head in your hands hoping that it wasn't going to end up in uh, in one of those bunkers or in a in a nasty lie so so that was uh yeah really just a lot of fun to play and 
I mean, a lot of the golf that we play these days, you see guys will play, they might play one practice round, they might play half a practice round and they spend all their time on the range. Uh, most of the time spent on the range, on the putting green, getting, I guess, getting your execution right. Whereas this week, I probably, I'd hazard a guess that probably the least amount of balls hit on the driving range there will be any any week in, in golf at, over the last 10 years because everyone just spent their time on the golf course trying to figure out where to hit it, where to play, um, where they need to be for different flags and and, and those things. So it, it didn't help that the wind was down off the left on the range. Not a great great win for that. But it was great that everyone just spent their time out on the golf course trying to, trying to learn it, which is, uh, I guess, I mean, that's the perfect um, for a course architect or people setting up a golf course. That's exactly, exactly what you want. So, uh, yeah. It was just it was great fun out there playing. I mean, as you say, with the the only probably slight drawback, and I understand why they did it because the scores probably would have been with the weather we had would have been would have been silly. But when when the t sheet when the pin sheet came out on on Thursday, and I looked at it, I went through and I'm lo- looking at it, going, "There's not a lot of green light flags out here." It's uh, uh, and even even when you did get in the right spot, a lot of those flags were hard to hard to get at. So a guy. A, it definitely played into a guy like Cam's hands who was holding. You need you need to hold hold your sort of 10, 15 footers because even if you got it sort of 30, 40 yards from the green, you a good shot in certain cases was was hit it to that sort of 10, 15 foot range. That's a hell of a Wednesday wake up call, isn't it, Matt? You hit one down and it bounces out of bounds. You can't put that out of your mind too quickly, I wouldn't imagine, uh, before the gun goes off on Thursday. When it's like that, Matt. I imagine there's a certain sort of player who would really struggle under those circumstances to just kind of adapt emotionally to what that means. You're there playing for the – it would be very easy to see how as a professional golfer you could get down on the, this is ridiculous, I hit that good, it's gone 40 yards left. (laughs) How do you manage all that? You clearly enjoy it, but at the same time you're playing in an open. It's less fun, isn't it, when the stakes are higher than when you're just playing around with clates or with your mates? Oh, I definitely – I think it's easy to – I mean, some – I mean, I've always – I love, I love the game and it, that's sort of what golf golf is about and it it, it is it def, no doubt when you get a bad bounce and you're in the in the midst of it you you're extremely frustrated but you, I guess I tried to playing in a, at the age I'm, I'm 39 now and I don't know I'll, I'll be 44 by the time the next open comes around as an engine I've, I've played two majors in my career so I, I sort of wanted to get over there and actually really enjoy the experience. So I sort of tried to embrace that a bit a bit more than maybe what I would have sort of five, ten years ago um, getting there. And obviously I was there to try and win the golf tournament and do the best that I could. But I felt the best way to do that was to embrace all those little quirks that quirks that come come with it. And I think in any when it whoever wins golf tournaments like that, they they're the ones that embrace embrace those things. And you were going to with it playing as firm and fast as it did, you were going to get one of those bounces or a number of those bounces that where the ball didn't end up in in the spot that you probably felt it deserved to be. Yeah. Clay, Mate, so, can I ask one yeah, quick quick thing, Rod? Just you you mentioned on the ground firmness, Matt. Did you actually did you actually try to change your your swing or do anything different to just? It sounds like you were trying to pick the ball a little bit more after you were playing the the links golf leading into it. Yeah, absolutely. So just just pick the ball a little bit more, um, and the and the other big change that after I nearly fell on my face on Tuesday, 
Um, <laughs> walking, walking around with my my coach, who also coaches Mark Leishman, and he said that uh, Leish should change his uh, right to put in actually steel steel spikes. And uh, I mean, I've I've played for what would be nearly probably around two thousand. I reckon the time that changed. So uh, I, that's the first time since two thousand I played with spikes in my shoe and. Uh, it it did it sort of definitely I didn't fall on my face for the rest of the week so it definitely definitely and that showed how extreme the mm. the ground ground was yeah shows the difference between the amateur and professional game too I wouldn't know where you'd go to get some metal spikes as an amateur but they're clearly freely handing them out in the equipment tents for you blokes which is lovely you yeah fortunately there's uh, there's no shortage of support there there that week and they they stay right to the end so uh, if you need something done you you've got it right at your fingertip what's the best thing about a week like that, Matt. And what's the worst thing about a week like that? Uh, probably uh, the hardest thing I, is probably managing everyone. Probably you, you've is a you get, end up getting a big crew, and everyone wants a, a little bit of you. That's the hardest things to sort of manage. Manage that. You, I mean, you don't want to be rude and all that sort of stuff. But there's certain times where you just need a bit of time to yourself, and and um, that that can be a little bit dif- difficult. You've, I mean, it's great having people there, and you need. I had some really good friends there that they were important to have there because otherwise you're spending a lot of time by yourself. I've got a young family. It was too too hard to take my wife and, and son over. So that that's probably hard to manage. But I think the best thing is that you just this is what these events are what you play golf for. You 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 get there, you're in amongst all the great players of the game are there. It's the, the chance to the chance that you have to actually see see whether your game's good enough to stand up to stand up to that. And um, so being able to, I mean, it, I would have liked to have been able to experience that more in my career. Hopefully there's a bit more of it coming, coming, but the chances sort of be there with all the, the great players playing on the, I guess the greatest um, arena that we, we have in golf and uh, to be able to see where your game's at is, is, is something special. Jack, you had some questions about slow play, I think, because we don't get much of a sense of that from the TV. Yeah. You know it's slow, but you don't sense it. When you're there, slow play is just a horrendous thing to watch unfold, isn't it? Yeah, it was really – it was horrendous. So what happened, it sounds like on Thursday, uh, you know, it was just hard, first round, all that, uh, and then you had some people waving up in spots they weren't supposed to, people who didn't wave up a few times. And, and then of course, you know, you have the ball going so far. And, uh, so, so you had two par fours that are par threes. You have both, both par fives are reachable when the wind's not blowing that hard. Uh, so, so Clay, you'll enjoy this. So Matt, Matt makes this unbelievable bogey on 17, practically in the dark already. Um, and uh, he, he hits it in the road bunker, has to go out. I mean, I'm telling you, he could tell us better. I don't know. I couldn't see what his lie was like, but he spent a lot of time looking at it. Anyway, you can tell us. But he went left uh, towards ATT. Then he gets up and down from there, made a nice long putt, drives 18 green, just misses an eagle putt. And I was standing over on the side when he was walking off. He goes, well, you know, because the pace was, I think I had them at six hours and 18 minutes. Um, and, and he said, well, you're going to have a lot to talk about in the next state of the game. And I said something, I mumbled the usual, you know, about rolling back the ball and Laurie Cantor has to uh, chimes in and, uh, Oh, that'll make it, that'll just make it worse rolling back the ball. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm just not going to get into this with him. He's just been out there for six twenty. I feel bad for all of them. 
Um, but it was like, yeah, you just don't get it, dude. Yeah, buddy. It that's, that's, you know, when John Daly can hit an iron onto 18 and, and he's shuffling around the course at age 50, whatever. I'm not um, familiar with this line of argument, Shaq. How does rolling the ball back make the game slow? No, no, don't try to figure it out, Rod. No, oh, of course, okay. if you tried to, I mean, I'm sure if you sat him down and said, now look, Laurie, if, 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 if a large portion of the field can't reach a few holes, or um, some of these, you know, again, two of these par fours aren't par threes. Suddenly you change the backups and I, you could probably take him through it. But it's yeah. it would take a significant rollback, though, as firm as the course was playing. But um, and perhaps I, you don't I, have. Yeah, and perhaps you don't have to walk back 60 yards on it. Well, then there's that. Oh, my gosh. The walk back. I almost, you know, I just didn't get around to it. I almost wanted to go out there. And just just measure and time the walkbacks. Uh, the walkbacks, um, yeah. It's just horrible. Brutal. Horrible. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and just- I mean, we're telling this to Matt. He played it, so he, he would know. <laughs> Matt, your thoughts on the pace uh, issue? Oh, it was. It, it's so hard to get any. You're sort of out there yeah, trying to get any momentum. You make a birdie and you stand on the next tee for 10 minutes waiting, waiting to go. And then you're standing over these shots, hitting into greens and. We played from the time we stood on the – we finished 13 on Thursday. The time we finished 13 to the time we walked off was 45 minutes, which uh, that's a long while. I know it's a long golf hole, but uh, – and it's a good hole to be – if there's a hole to be standing on, that's probably the one you want to be standing on. <laughs> you got an off view, yes. Golf hole, but, um, yeah, it, 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 and we played pretty much – and the worst part about it is you kind of get to that and then they start pushing you around the last – Oh, three yeah. four holes um trying to basically we're running into the back of the group in front of us anyway uh and you sort of you could have been doing this a little bit earlier in the day to to make things a bit better for us and we played there were three groups behind us so they played even more holes with in that semi-dark but it's not you know compared to sort of middle of daylight it's a lot harder to read the greens and i when i stood over that pot on 18 the 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 leaderboards and that was sort of flashing you could see and <laughs> All I'm standing over that going is just don't leave yourself three, four foot here because if you got that, it's going to be hard, a hard, a hard putt hole, which which shouldn't be happening in a in a major championship, really. So, uh, yeah, and and it does also when you get pins as hard as they were, uh, <clears throat> the course and the course playing firm and fast also makes it a bit worse. But if if we weren't hitting it as far, we'd definitely get round. Uh, I can can say. I can say, Jeff, if we, were, if we weren't hitting it so far, we would be getting around a lot faster. I was talking to um, Huggy after the week. I'll get your thoughts on this as well, Clates, but Matt, your take first. And he said, basically, you've got five par threes now from the eighth. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 are essentially kind of all par threes of the old course. Is that quite a ring true, Matt? It's probably not quite 100%, but it's not far off, is it? It's, it's pretty close. I mean, you've probably only got, um, if the way the wind is, you've either got nine or 10 that you can't reach, but they're they're basically a pitch anyway from from where you, where you get to so that that's really where everything kind of kind of stops and and uh, the slow movement and then you've also got all the the uh, close close greens so guys are waiting and and that so it just it just sort of all all adds into one very long round long round of golf yeah it's a real back tw- up there. 12, 12 the fairway is non-existent They've, it's just shrunk to nothing. And if you look at the old photos, it used to be so much wider. So guys just don't really know where to hit it there. So they just they just wait to, to go for the green. I, that was my feeling. I don't know, man. It, it, it just looked like there's no place to lay up if you actually wanted to. And maybe this year it was so firm. Maybe that was impossible there and maybe even 13 too. Uh, but 
I also was looking like, well, if the grass went back out to where it used to be and you took some of this gorse out, there'd be more places to lay up and hit it. Um, well, with, just with hit the, driver. With it playing as firm and fast, well, with the, that was really the only option because you, you, you couldn't, unless it played into the breeze and you could hit a, a softer shot that sort of had less on it, it was going to run into one of those bunkers almost certainly. So it was unless you wanted to lay way back of those first bunkers and have sort of 150, 60 metres in, which is which is an option. And 13 was playing so fast there that most things that land in the fairway were going to run run through into the rough. And we had fours a, four was probably the one hole that with that tee shot into the breeze, both those first two days, the, they've made that rough so quite thick and short there. And I had really... The only option off that tee is to basically drive it in the rough. Rough for me. If I had another fifteen yards, my drive and get to the fairway. But I hit two drives where I wanted to, and I was in sort of knee high rough both days. So that that was a little, little bit frustrating. Quite some thoughts on how old course plays now compared to nineteen eighty four, and what you observed is that notion of five par threes from the eighth ring true for you. Well, they were always short because we were playing shorter tees, but. As we said, the most, the well, the worst part about playing that golf course is having to walk back on every hole. It's not every hole, but most of them to get to the tee. You know, it's always been the same course. It's just obviously the ball goes so much further. So they keep trying to compensate for that with crazy pins and back tees. And does it to, to play devil's advocate? Does it necessarily make it less interesting, Clates? Is it just as interesting to watch with the ball going as far as it does now as it was thirty years ago when the ball didn't go as far and the tees were further up? Uh, what did Cam Smith it into 17 on Sunday? 9-iron, right? 9-iron, yeah. yeah. So how can that be more interesting than Tom Watson hitting a 2-iron? Which is yeah, it's a very simplistic way to answer that question. Kind of, yeah. Nuanced than that. But um, the old course has always been interesting to play, mm. and, and it's so dependent on the conditions and how it plays. And But you, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I wasn't there, didn't see the pins, but clearly that was the one thing they had left was to just put the pins in brutally difficult spots on, on, on every day just to keep the scores within reasonable realm. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt you've mentioned you played in the Dunhill Links. I imagine you've played St Andrews. You've probably played as an amateur. Did you play any of the amateur events there? What's your, been your sense of how it's changed over time? Because you've played right through it with changing equipment. Granted, you didn't play with persimmon and like Clates did back in the dark ages, but uh, did, did you know it changed with what you use today compared to the first time you maybe encountered the course? Uh, probably a little bit. I, I, my first, my first event there was 2007 in the in the Lynx Trophy, the amateur event that they have there, and uh, it it probably it's hard to really gauge too much of a change from then. So they, they haven't pushed too many tees back there. It's probably been a little bit shorter. But the main thing this year was just because it played so much firmer and faster that the ball was um, obviously going going a lot further than what I what I had it when 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 I was there. I mean, the, when you play the Dunhill Lynx, they have Basically, eighteen pretty easy flags. So the course plays it, it does in the links in the Dunhill links. It plays it plays pretty easy compared to the Open where they were. They had yeah, basically eighteen hidden, hidden flags. Yeah, well, if you put those flags out with a pro am field the way they do in the Dunhill links, mate, your six hour round might be a quick one. <laughs> if they had the flags where they had them for the Open, <laughs> you might never finish. They have to put them in the easy places. Shaq, you're uh, on the verge uh, of something. Well, I want to ask him another uh, a question. I had somebody. Lamenting Matt, the the uh, local the 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 road hole tee that is used in the championship is a little more left of the tee on the other side of the road, 
and the person was lamenting one that the out of bounds is now not in play for the second shot on 16 quite as much. And then also this person feels that that angle, just that whatever it is, maybe 10, 12 yards left on the angle uh, or the line for the back tee, that it makes the tee shot easier to, to hit it down the right. I don't know. I don't see how that tee shot's easy at all in any way, regardless of angle. But what, what do you think of that, uh, the way they have that set up there, that little intersection there of 16, 17? Uh, well, 16, definitely, because uh, we actually had an interesting conversation out one of the first days wondering whether, obviously, because there is that old out-of-bounds line there, whether they had sort of made that out-of-bounds for 16, but then 17 was obviously then became inbounds, but they they had pushed the fence back there. And on uh, on day one, I actually with that sort of back right flag, I tried to hit it down the left and and got one of those big bounces and actually ran through into the uh, into the rough. So I had quite a – I was probably a foot away from where I really wanted to be but had a really tough shot and uh, that would have been a lot harder if the if the fence had been there. I kind of was able to sort of hit something right of the trap and just let it feed around and sit right of the green, whereas if the fence had been there, I probably not, I'm not playing that shot. So that definitely made that easier and the, the right pins on 16 less fearful. Uh, Seventeen. I mean, that's still that's still yeah. a scary shot. It's hard to say whether it's changed it that much. Um, it was with that wind off the right through all the practice days through Thursday. It was practically near impossible to get it close to the close to the old course, um, close to the close to the fence. But then when we did get that wind change on uh, on Friday, it sort of an, uh, <clears throat> allowed you to sort of feed something feed something up against it. I think I'd I'd been in the I think in the first four or five times I played, I hit it straight in the left rough every every day. So, uh, but fortunately, Friday I was able to get it in a in a good good spot. Uh, were you surprised at all by the scoring? Oh, I mean, the the sixty four Sunday from Cam Smith's amazing. But Cam Young shot sixty five <laughs> same day on a extraordinarily difficult golf course. Are you surprised at all by that? Given you've played, you know, you played there, and you've talked about how difficult the conditions were and how fine the margins were. It's extraordinary talent, aggression. <laughs> Kahuna's is it not to shoot those numbers under those circumstances? Absolutely, yeah. I would have probably going out there. You sort of most guys will always try and have an estimate. You probably were saying ten to thirteen. I mean, we played. I played late Wednesday afternoon with uh, Ernie, and uh, it it was blowing hard Wednesday afternoon, and we were probably thinking there anything in the low in the low number, like sort of four or five under. If it played like that, was a was a really good score, but even in even in great conditions, to get to what Cam shot twenty under, that's uh, with where those pins were was um, was incredible golf. But you get that. I, play, I remember I played Memorial in twenty seventeen, and I sort of played pretty well the first couple of days. I think I was about one under par, and um, uh, one of the one of the guys was 13, 14 under, and you're like, wow, that's that's just <laughs> golf. So the standard of golf out there these days, oh, it's always been great, but. There's just some incredible golf being played at the moment. Yeah. You see it at your own club. I say, amateurs can actually relate to this. doesn't matter what the conditions are. When you get a field of 100 people play, someone's going to shoot lights out. It doesn't matter. It's somebody who's going to do it every time. Clay, so I wanted to get um, your take on, the uh, obviously, the, the shot that Smith hit on 17 from short of the bunker, around the bunker with the putter. You played there plenty of times. What, would, what did you... What did you make of that? It was a pretty daunting place to be, obviously, at that moment in the championship. Is that luck, imagination? 
Both? Well, no, not luck. I mean, it was, it was just a, you know, it's a... It's a putt that you've got to hit properly. I mean, you can get away with missing the putter a bit, but that's one where you really have to hit it properly. You've got to have the proper contact and force. And, you know, I mean, he, he would... Fortunately for him, he would never have seen the Tommy Nakajima debacle in 1978. I, I can remember watching that on TV, and he, that, that hole was out of reach that day. He, he was one of the few guys who got it onto the edge of the green with, with two woods and then putted the bunker and made eight. So you're not far from disaster there. And, you know, he just he played the perfect shot. But, but I'll bet if you asked him, he would tell you that that putt came off the putter perfectly. Yeah. You know, he would have just flushed that putt. And you, you absolutely have to do that. You know, too hard and you're on the road, too soft, you're in the bunker. You know, you can't go too close, but you, you play safe and, you, and you're five feet further away and you probably don't make the second putt. So, you know, it was a great shot, no doubt. No, no margin for error. Is it the one that will stand out? Is it the shot that will always remember? I think I probably I think most probably will. Do you reckon this is the one that, that's the one that people, when they think back to this tournament, they'll think about that shot? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and you know, there was, it seemed like he made so many putts that week. Um, was, it, was it the first hole of the tournament where he made it, you know, thirty or forty foot down the hill for a birdie at the first hole? Yes, and, exactly. You know, some yeah, some, you know, so he, he had a crazy week with the putt. The second day was ridiculous, wasn't it? Two hundred and fifty or sixty feet oh, of putts in one day. Yeah, yeah, quite a tour, quite a shot. What's amazing is you can make that many putts on one day and still only win by a shot. What does that tell us? Well, the other guys are really good too, but um, <laughs> and it tells you how you know Tiger winning by winning go and win by eight was just yeah. some extraordinary stuff that he did. And going back to what you said, Rod, about Smith playing the Tiger round, did Rory play a round that Tiger never would have played? Oh, I think Rory played the Tiger no, round. No, Rod said, yeah, he thought Rory played kind of the Tiger round, and I, I did too. I thought he played really smart. At a couple in he, front. He missed in all the right spots. <laughs> yeah. and okay. That's what I, I thought he said Cam Smith played the round Tiger would have played. No. Well, I, no. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not my – my memories of Tiger are rarely a Sunday charge. It, it, usually he'd, he'd had you beat by Sunday, and he just made sure of it on Sunday. That's the feeling I've always said out about. Wasn't that felt like the round that McElroy played? It wasn't defensive, or he just – he played – all the percentage shots and how many other years might he have won that one, Jeff, with that round of golf? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, exactly. I think he, he wins most of the time. And like Matt said, you know, it, it I, cause I wrote my Sunday, Saturday night piece, uh, all about the duel and I, the mojo with him and Hovland on Saturday was incredible. Just incredible. You know, they were walking at the same pace. You just felt like they were feeding off each other. And then Matt's absolutely right. <laughs> Sunday, Rory was fine, but Hovland, yeah, he just he just didn't have it, which you kind of expected for a younger player, first time, last group, uh, the whole thing, you know, weird times a day and all that, and and the, the the and so Rory didn't have that to feed off of like he did Saturday, and it's not, it's it's just one of those many little things that just happens to happen. It's not a, it's not that Victor's to blame for the no, loss, no, no. just but just the way it is. There, there um, might, but might be he, an eighth of a I, shot in it for Rory Martin there in that feeding off the crowd. You, you can't yeah. put a you can't put a number on it, but it, there's no, no question there's an impact from that. He's uh, yeah, no. Although you could also make the case that you know the pressure on him is so much greater feeling that with the crowd, and uh, I, I think the thing that's got to be the most difficult for Rory, and it just seemed to me watching, is that 
I don't think he's ever, I think he's playing the best golf he's ever yeah. played in his life. Okay. The most complete mm-hmm. game. He, at least I, I, let's put it this way. He, he's a more complete player than he's ever been, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, more profound in terms of numbers of birdies and things than he, than he did in 2014. I don't know, but every part of his game is really good right now. And uh, so what do you do when you, you have that moment? Um, and he was fantastic uh, after with, with the press, you know, he could have been pretty, pretty distraught. And of course he's standing there talking and, and, and you know, you can hear and see right over his shoulder, you know, the champion golfer of the year. <laughs> it's like, Oh, this is awkward. Um, but he, he handled himself beautifully. And it's just one of those, uh, one of those things, yeah. Matt, Matt, before we, we, I don't want to forget, um, with Matt, um, I want to hear a little bit about your favorite, what ended up being your favorite places to play, uh, on the trip, uh, with Chris Kane and the, in the group and where you played. Uh, really, I think North, North Berwick where we kick, kick things off was, um, that place is just so much fun. It's, uh, <clears throat> it was my first trip there and, and playing, especially those holes when you come, when you come back in with, there's just so with the Radan green and, 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 and 16 was such a, that's just an incredible. We, we got to play it with a back flag and uh, I probably hit it a little bit too close to green, was playing straight down wind. I'm looking at this shot going, how do I actually get this on the top tier? So um, it was, um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we played Musselburgh Old Links on the early, early one morning and whipped around there. That was, it was just, just good fun to play that different, golf that you know has been played for so long but it's just sort of it's it's just fun you that that was really good and we and and then playing Muirford where the women are going to play in um this week was uh and that's just such a strong it's more of a what you probably describe a conventional golf course uh and we had a we had a great day there playing foursomes with a couple of a couple of members going in for lunch and uh it's just good back to get back to I guess golf's golf's roots, and we I, we play so much just golf, especially in where I play up in Japan, where it's purely about execution. But we had to get up there and play a play where it's sort of a bit more of is in the hands of the gods was uh, was good fun. It's hard to recognise the two games side by side, isn't it, Matt? I, I can't remember when I was a couple of years ago. Somebody had a shot of the road hole and a shot of TPC Sawgrass. Like, how did this morph into this? <laughs> how is this the same game? It's a stark reminder, isn't it, of how different the modern, particularly the elite modern game is. It, it is. It's it's totally, completely different to where most of the golf that we play. I guess in Australia, we're lucky to probably play a little bit of a hybrid hybrid version of that and uh, and it, it makes you want to maybe at some stage later in later in life, I might me and my wife might come over and spend spend a few months over over there and stay stay somewhere and just play play for play for a few months over here over there because it's it is it it is um it's just the way golf golf's meant to be. Yeah, it's it's lovely to uh, see a pro can actually enjoy that sort of golf, isn't it, Jack and Clates? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Who well, don't. that that. Yeah, and that's a that was gonna that kind of leads to my next question because the guys were saying amazingly positive things. Uh, they seem to be having a good time with the conditions, uh, but I also think a lot of guys are attuned to the idea that they they better say the right thing or they they'll they'll, they'll get ripped <laughs> or they'll 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 get a bad vibe from the Scots and the crowd. Was your sense that what the guys were saying um, in the locker room about St Andrews and the old course and the way it was playing? Uh, was positive that they were enjoying that kind of golf? 
yeah, I'd say I'd say eighty five to ninety percent of the guys there were when joined. I really didn't hear any too many negative comments inside the inside the locker room or inside the ropes. Everyone was just just happy to be there. I think, and, and whether everyone truly believed that or not, I'm not sure. But uh, I'd say most people were being the old course and and being there were sort of happy to happy that it played the, the play it played the way it did. It's always had its critics, though, hasn't it, Clates? Not everybody's always enjoyed the old course over time. Scott Hoke famously hated it. We talked about it on the last one. Lee Westwood didn't put it in his top 200 in five, the old course. Yeah. The, the style of golf doesn't necessarily appeal to somebody who's grown up on a completely different style of golf, does it? No, if you're used to the game being fair and predictable and just a test of execution, then it's, you'll hate the golf course. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure, Shaq, there are guys there who, you're right, they don't say anything, but they yeah. secretly despise playing. Yeah. Matt's Fitzpatrick kind of caved and kind of just said, yeah. you know, he apologized, but he just said it on Saturday. Yeah, he just he just can't really embrace it. And you're thinking, my God, the way he's playing right now, dude, just just embrace it a little bit. You're playing unbelievable golf. And you've got to wonder if that was enough of a difference. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it before, Matt. It but you be, know there are some plates. Yeah, you just it, know there are guys yeah. who are. can be hard <laughs> as a professional, doesn't it? If you you hate the golf course you're playing, it makes it hard to play well, doesn't it, Matt? You, you kind of need to yeah, somehow and, keep and that out of your It's got to be a problem. Oh, you, um, you do. Uh, if you've got a negative mindset going out, that's that's not a good not a good place to start. So uh, you, you just got to yeah, wherever you are, where. Whatever course you've you've got to find find something in it that 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 get gets you going. The Gary player, I love these fast greens. I love these slow <laughs> greens. I love these bumpy greens. These are the best greens. These are my favourite types of greens. No matter what type, of something to be said for that. I want to switch gears quickly. We were trying to trying to try and have a live free zone, but I just remembered Matt. Speaking of live and lawsuits announced overnight, there's a bunch of players suing the tour for. Uh, what are they suing them for, Shaq? What's the antitrust? Is no, it? they want to play in the FedEx Cup. Yeah, whatever the, the, it might be. Yeah, right. You were part of a not dissimilar legal case, Matt, when the One Asia Tour first started down in this part of the world and the Asian Tour tried something similar to what the PGA Tour has done. Yourself and a bunch of other players went to court. Give us some of the background of what happened there. And where was that court case heard? Obviously, the law is different in different parts of the world. But just give us a thumbnail sketch of what happened there and whether we can read anything in what might happen with this live stuff. Yeah, that was back in uh, back 2010. So basically you had down um, the Asian tour had sort of, I guess, control of the Asian region and a few tours, the Australian tour, Korean tour, China, uh, Japan Japan tour, all sort of banded together and created a another sort of series of million-dollar events. Um, at the time, the Asian tour were playing sort of, you had the, it was almost like two tours, you had the co-sanctioned events that were worth in excess of a million, and then you had the regular Asian tour events that were sort of 300,000. So first year I went up to Asia, I kept my card and then had – I sort of finished well down. So I was sort of getting – I mostly got the $300,000 events and um, and this one Asia tour sort of popped up and I had exemption through the Australian tour to, to play those. And pretty much they – there was a big gap in the schedule with the Asian tour. Didn't have anything on for a few months, and there were a few of these events that we wanted to play, and and then the Asian tour uh, find or find us, and uh, we got support through the tours to, I guess, take that take that on, and and that was in the Singapore court. So we end up, I think it, t- it took about three or four years, but we eventually won that. We eventually won that case that we had rights to play. Where we did the the laws were a little bit different. There, there was nothing in the Asian tour regulations at the time that said you couldn't 
couldn't go and play these events and and that and uh, we ended up winning, which then gave us rights back. I think it was 2014. I went back and played a few Asian tour events. Yeah. Uh, from there, there was no sort of financial settlement or anything like that, no. but um, it was good to, Just I guess, get our the right to be able to play the game. We yeah, back we, to play there. So it was sort of a. I mean, it's a little bit. It's it's along the same lines, a little bit, little bit kind of different. We we were just sort of trying to be able to actually play golf from when we didn't have starts. So that's a little bit, little bit different. But um, yeah, we were we were fortunate able to win that case. Does sound somewhat familiar, doesn't it, Jack? And of course, the One Asia Tour eventually didn't survive. So <laughs> we wonder whether we yeah. can read anything into all of that. It's interesting that it's not a precedent, obviously, in the US, but it's kind of a precedent what Matt's talking about there, isn't it? It's that notion of the the independent contractor, I guess. Where they yeah, I guess the difference in this case uh, and why I just take uh, such a crappy attitude right out of the box is that we've had to listen to all these guys. I want to play less. I want to be with my family more and live letting me do that. I've gotten this ridiculous check. And then, and now we're going to get into court cases because they, they want to play more and don't want to, they want to have their PGA tour check and their FedEx cup. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways, you know? And there's a lot of people who'd like the opportunity and you've just said no thanks to the opportunity and took this check. So go do it. Like, don't, don't bother us with it. And do you think the players uh, are driving That's why I think. Or is it Liv that's driving it? Do you think well, the players are driving Liv it? Well, I would imagine Liv is, yeah, this lawsuit. I, you know, you almost wonder. Obviously, there were a few guys who really do want to. I think that the, the, uh, Taylor Gooch and a couple others who probably are FedEx eligible and would like to get that play and get that check. But there's a few guys who probably could care less, like Dustin Johnson resigned his membership, so he doesn't care. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. The Liv's probably the one that that drove the lawsuit, and and that in itself is incredible because you just think after the week they just had, you'd think they'd just kind of go, okay, let's 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 quiet down for a little while. We just had a MAGA rally, uh, bad crowds, uh, you know, just a bad bad look in a few ways. The Saudis were national news here in ways I don't think they want to be with their sponsorship in this. You'd think they would have been smart enough to just kind of go, let's go away for a little while. Uh oh. Have you been watching, Jeff, what's happening in the world well, the last thing, 10 years? My Where screen went away. Sorry. Okay. I just would have thought they would have uh, regrouped and, no, 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 no. and been gone quiet. Um, but anyway, no, I uh, I dipped in a little bit. I was at a wedding. I had a blissful weekend. I got away and uh, barely watched any. I just checked in a, a few times just to see something and see numbers. And um, it was just, you know, whatever. And I watched all the stuff on social media, of course, about the uh, – and engaged, which is, your, which is your own fault, and you've got nobody to yeah. blame but yourself. Yeah, that is. Engaged. You might have missed the point, Jeff. The point is to double down. Once you get caught out with your hand in the cookie, you double down. That's how you do it. So well, good luck with that. Uh, I, again, I think the they're uh, miss, they're not reading the room, but yeah. uh, you're right. That is kind of the mindset of this group. Yeah. And uh, and look, the tour is is uh, they're they're no saints sometimes with some of this stuff, but uh, but you, you can't be you can't be complaining about. Mm. Some of the things they're complaining about, and then and then want to be playing more. It's just, it's just, yeah. You know, and Chuck, uh, how many tournaments do Aramco sponsor on the LPJ tour? Oh, uh, you're just trying to get me going, aren't you? Um, <laughs> well, another, just, another Melbourneite yeah. needling you. Zero over on the shit. LPGA <laughs> tour. Yeah, yeah, Zero. Yeah. So, you know, so Greg came out with that statement. Was there any validity to it at all? No. They, they have a board seat on the on the LET. And the LET has their six event series. 
and that's that's the extent of it. Anna Nordquist is is a Ramco player. Uh, yeah. Lydia Co played that of those events, but they are not co-sanctioned events. They're not on the LPGA tour. Uh, that was a ridiculous statement and it was ridiculous that people tried to, uh, spin it and we know who you, you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Well, I just keep drawing that, but it just seemed outrageous. I mean, I mean, show me one tournament on the LPJ tour sponsored by a ramp car. It's not one, is it? It's just not there on the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, uh, now maybe someday they will, but right now, no. And for Greg to make that comment yeah. was, uh, That's it cool. just wasn't, it, I, I know what he, he was thinking of the LET yeah. and he knows they have a partnership and yeah. in our world, you just, that's enough. And then you see the. People who come to the defense, they find some little shrivel and yes, that see, they have a board seat. So therefore they're taking the money. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, the RNA and I, I said to the person, I said, well, the RNA has a board seat too. So are you going to call them out as well? And uh, that didn't happen. No. Yeah. Leaving no, some of the, just, well, it was, he was wrong, wasn't he? It was pretty simple. Leaving some of the complexity aside, Matt, and I know you said before we started recording that everyone was pretty focused on the open, and I felt that too. The live golf thing kind of went away for most of the week, which was terrific to see, but it feels like there's a bunch more players being a bunch more vocal than we've seen about stuff. There feels like much more div- division amongst players. Really kind of outright, nastiness is wrong, but just sort of outright sniping at each other about that sides have been taken. Do you sense that? And what's your sense of, and do you have amongst your own friends people with differing opinions to yourself about lives, Live Golf's place in the game and, and what are your own thoughts on it? Oh, absolutely! It's a very, uh, it's a very divisive topic, and it's one that I know we, we, I guess, in you have dinners in Japan every night with the different guys, and there's, there's all, all range of perspective perspectives on it, and um, so it's a, it is a divisive thing in the in the game, and it's not a one thing that both sides can probably agree on. It's not a good thing for the game in in general. So, um, yeah, it's. It, it's very, very divisive, and the, it's going to be. It, it does feel like the next sort of once we get through this FedEx Cup, that's where it's going to get really, really ugly. And there's probably, I'm sure, a lot of those players over in the US kind of have a better idea of. We you hear all these rumours of who's going, who's not, but you don't hear nothing outside of what the general media has heard. I haven't heard anything of any inside word to to what's actually what's actually going to happen. But it, but it is. I mean, essentially, you've got. This slip tour is directly trying to compete with what those guys that are staying with the PJ Tour are, are, and, and DP World Tour are doing. So it's going to get pretty. There's two sides of the fence there, and one. If it keeps being divided, there's going to be one side that's going to going to win. Mm. It's uh, as I said to Clates the other day. It's a. Uh... It's going to take a long, long, long time for this to all wash out. It's not something that's you know, even if Live Golf went away next week, it's not going to wash out quickly. It's a it's a hell of a hand grenade that's been thrown into the game, sort of at the top levels. Um, we barely discussed the ball. That was nice, wasn't it, Shaq? Let's uh, let's see if we can get to the well. End of the show I mean, now. if Matt would like to, he yeah. said it. If the ball didn't go as far, the, the rounds would have been faster. I mean, was there any particular hole? If, let, let not to totally put you on the spot, but was there a, was there any? particular hole you felt like yeah this is one where way too many people are are able to reach it and and this is one where if if we lost 10 percent of distance we'd see more of this and that and be it wouldn't be quite just i'm assuming maybe number 12 might be the one but i don't know yeah, probably 12 and 14 probably 14 i mean the way the oh, wind yeah. sort of even back in day they probably but we're sort of hitting uh what do we hit into I hit into 14, I hit sort of five and six iron and probably guys a little bit longer are hitting sort of eight, nine irons in. So wow. you probably want a bit more of a um, 
bit more of a challenge. Um, That's with a tee off on the Eden course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're probably those those little those little things that could be uh, brought back and um, make it a make, yeah make it a, a bit of a stern, sterner test and and actually have to hit a really good drive to make sure you can actually get there get there in two. What was the most fun hole to play? Most fun hole. Uh, I think oh, it's hard to say you enjoy playing seventeen because you're <laughs> standing on that. There's any any sort of number in there, but uh, you'd have to say that because from a challenging perspective, you you know every yard closer to the fence there gives you a better angle in, and then and then that sec that second shot in there from where you were with it the days that I played with it being sort of off the left and, and down off the right, you, it's just such a, you've got to be so creative to hit a shot to get it near that flag. There was no, the two days I played, played it, you couldn't land it up on top to get it close to that flag. So it just makes you be so creative. And then you, and then on, on sort of Thursday where I probably got a little bit, I didn't get too aggressive. I was trying to hit it just sort of front right there, but it came out left on me. And as soon as it came off club, I know it's in the bunker and you go, how am I, Basically, from that point, unless you get a really lucky lie, you're looking at how do I make five from here. So you don't get it. We don't get a lot, of, a lot of that. So that that was, um, yeah, I'd say seventeen the most fun. Good to send you. Had goal, to go out. You had yeah. to go out left yeah. on that shot. I, yeah, you essentially trying to where I was. I had I had no way of going sort of towards the green. So I was trying to find a how far. Well, not just get it out, but how far do I actually have to get this out so I can have a direct line back at the flag without having to go back over the over the bunker. Quintessential goal plates. from the plates. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Relentless from the tee. You're thinking about the tee shot on 16 probably, but certainly standing on the tee. You're thinking yeah. about the second shot as you walk to your ball. You're thinking about what the third shot, you wouldn't know what the third shot might be before you hit your second shot. And then you're thinking yeah. about that third shot all the way to the ball. And at no stage are you confident about any of the decisions that you're making. <laughs> no, that's right. And you, you know, you've always got in the back of your mind that what Nakajima did and what Duval did, and God, this you know, you're a, you're a two inches away from a complete disaster on that hole. Yeah. Well, now you can have in the back of your mind what Cam Smith did. So that's yeah, yeah you've got that to draw on. And true, yeah. That's another reason. We better let you go, Clates, because it's time for you to. Uh, Matt Griffiths, man, fabulous to have right. you along today, mate. We could talk to you for hours. We must get you back to talk just general golf nerdery because it feels like you're a general golf nerd, which is nice. But thanks for taking some time today, mate. We really appreciate it. No, thanks, thanks for having us. I look forward to uh, listening to the podcast in the future. Excellent stuff. Clates, good to have you aboard. Are you in Melbourne or Tassie at the moment? Uh, Melbourne. I was in Tasmania yesterday. I got back last night. So it's, Quick uh, update, Seven Mile Beach. How are we looking? When's the opening? And uh, End of next year. Okay. So we'll, we'll hopefully be finished building it by Christmas. And um, Lucas Michelle, who's been on the pot, he's down there pushing sand. He's off to play the US Mid Amateur at Aaron Hills in a month or so. So he's out of there in a bit. <laughs> Nice. Is is there any part of the golf demographic left that you haven't offered Aaron free golf Hills. to? Aaron uh, Hills. Aaron Hills for the mid amateur. Yes, was it seven thousand eight hundred yards for the mid amateur? But uh, oh. he's, he's playing it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's courageous of him. This would have been the year to to sit one out if, the if there was anyway, one. But that's what he's doing. It's a long way to go to play. Aaron What's Hills, the other course it? they play for yeah. the, for that? They play Blue Mound. No idea. I have no idea. Yeah. 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 Maybe the other course is good. Blue Mound's an old rainer. It's really neat in Milwaukee, but of course it's an hour away, but there, there's nothing else out there. So so was Aaron Hills that bad? No good? 
No, it's horrible. Yeah, it's oh, just oh, horrible. Okay. Okay. It's horrible in every way. It was the worst US Open ever. It's uh it's just it's awful. <laughs> That's a competitive kind Six hundred acres uh waste. I mean, it just should have there should be two great golf courses on that land, and there's one terrible one. So it was a good site they screwed up. Oh, great oh, site. Yeah. Great yeah, site. And yeah. why they spread out that much golf. I mean, it's two miles from the clubhouse to the sixteenth tee at the far end. Um it's just big and long and hard and sounds like we not, might have to do a u.s fun. u.s mid-amateur uh, episode yeah I mean, just <laughs> of all the places well the women's u.s opens going there in whatever uh a couple of years i believe which oh, is, is it? or yeah, maybe wow. it's next year is it next year it might even be next year uh no sorry pebble beach is next year oh gosh that's gonna even make it worse they're pebble next year than they, I think it's, <laughs> sublime uh, to it's ridiculous 24 oh it's it's brutal i was yeah. trying to do the, the goodbyes shack you guys have derailed that shack good to have you along mate thanks sorry. for your time yes Thank you, Rod. <laughs> Enjoyed it. Thank you, Matt. State of the game done and dusted. We might be back for a US mid amateur chat by the sound of it. We need to talk oh, about it. Yeah, we should. <laughs> need to talk about yeah. Aaron Hills. That's episode 100 and something in the books, and it'll be 100 and something one more next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.